Do you know what's in your baby food? The guests on today's episode do. Today we're talking about contaminants in baby food, how that gets regulated, and why that regulation may not be good enough. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly legal news podcast from Bloomberg Law. I'm your host, David Schultz. When it comes to exposure to heavy metals like lead, we've made a ton of amazing progress in this country. By one estimate, Americans' exposure to lead has gone down by more than 93% since the 1970s. But there's one group of Americans who are most vulnerable to lead's neurotoxic effects and who advocates say are still exposed to far too much, and that's babies. Processed baby foods have been found to have very small amounts of lead and other harmful metals, but even small amounts can cause problems. The FDA is aware of this, and they've recently started a campaign called Closer to Zero that's meant to systematically update the agency's baby food guidelines. But as the name of the campaign implies, the goal isn't to get to zero, just closer. A team of Bloomberg Law reporters recently dug into what's going on here, how does the FDA regulate metals in baby food, and how much metal really is in what parents are buying at the store. I sat down with two of these reporters, Celine Castro-Nuovo and Gary Harkai, to talk about their project and about what they found. But first, I asked Gary to tell me how this story came about. Yeah, um, this started when uh, Julie Steinberg wrote about a lawsuit essentially alleging that baby food companies were falsely advertising, saying their products were healthy because there are heavy metals in them. And she's written a number of lawsuits about that. And when I went across my desk, I thought, well, that's that's odd. What's what's going on here? And so I just started looking into it and, you know, kind of figured out the back history of it, that this had been an issue for a very long time. I mean, the problems with lead have been known about since Roman times. And just asking the question, why is this in in baby food products? It seemed like a very simple thing. So it was just you saw some interesting lawsuits and you thought there maybe there's something going on here. And it sounds like there definitely was. Yeah, I mean, it was it was surprising when I got into it, um, started looking into it, just just how how well known it was, and and how many times it had been brought up. You know, there was a study in 2019, and then Congress had their own investigation and two studies in 2021. So it was just sort of like, what are they? You know, why is this still happening? Why has nobody fixed this? Well, let's get into that. Why has no one fixed this? And specifically, why has the FDA not fixed this? Um, you went into this in, in your story about sort of the history of what FDA has done. It sounds like it's been very piecemeal and gradual progress here for a century almost. Yeah. I mean, the, the FDA and its predecessor have known about the problems with lead since the first part of the, the 20th century. And, and, and lead levels have gone down in foods since then. But, you know, measurements have gotten stronger. They, they, can, they can now measure things to parts per billion. And at the same time, more and more science has come out saying that these lead and, and other metals are dangerous. So, you know, they, they have continued over time to try and, and reduce the, the levels. But you're still sort of left with these products that, that are, that are unre- essentially unregulated. And now, Celine, can you explain to me how the FDA regulates this in the first place? It was, you know, it sounds like it's a very complicated distinction between action levels that they set, regulatory limits, and then guidance. What What is the distinction between those three, these, those three measures? Yeah. So the FDA generally, when it establishes policies, it does so either through guidance documents or through regulations or rulemaking. 
Um, So what the FDA has done here with baby food is they're establishing action levels in guidance documents. So what that means is basically we're setting a level based on science of, you know, what we know about heavy metal concentrations in baby foods and what we know about it in the environment. And we're setting it as this is the level which you shouldn't exceed. But because it's in a guidance document and all of FDA guidance documents, it says at the top, these are non-binding recommendations. So it doesn't explicitly hold the FDA to enforcing it if a company's product goes above that level. It just basically says, if you go above this level, we can take enforcement action, but doesn't mean they necessarily will. And it sounds like, I mean, these action levels are not, you know, w- without any teeth. I mean, they it sounds like the companies that make the baby food, you know, try to adhere to them. But I mean, I guess the, the key word there is try. There's not strict enforcement of these action levels. Right. Yeah. And so... Yeah, the FDA has set these action levels, and I know they they did so for inorganic arsenic um, in infant rice cereal. And even if you know a company has gone past that level, it's still up to the FDA's discretion of whether they'll leave it to the company to issue a recall um, or take any other action. Now, you guys went a step further on your um, in your investigation and tested some of these baby foods yourselves. You you bought them. You sent them to a lab and had them tested. Why did you take that extra step uh, when, when doing the working on this project? So at the time that we, we came into the story, um, it had been about a year after the after Congress had released its information, which was essentially test results gathered from these companies. And so I wanted to just see, has anything changed? Because you know, on the le- regulatory side, not much had changed. There had been a few guidances put on, on apple juice but other than that, everything was pretty much status quo as it had been a year ago, four years ago. So I just wanted to see what was in there. And so we, yeah, we gathered the, all, all of the foods from uh, local, local grocery stores and online and, and sent them out to a, uh, a lab that does testing for the industry just to see what, what, if, if, if anything had changed. Had it? No. <laughs> no. If things were still as bad as they were a year ago. Yeah. I mean, we took the, our results to a number of um, people who work with the industry and, 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 and different advocates and basically said, you know, what, what do you see here? And a couple of them said, this is, this is just as, as bad as what Congress found. Uh, one, one guy basically said, I think this might be actually a little bit worse with a couple of the, of the, the readings that we had for a couple of the foods. Mm. So let's talk about the FDA's response to the project. You, uh, Celine, spoke with Susan Maine, who's a, a top official at the FDA. What did she say? What w- was her defense of all this? Yeah, so Susan Maine leads the Food Center at the FDA. And when I talked to her about it, she basically said, you know, the FDA is moving as fast as the speed of science on this issue and emphasize that there is a balancing act between making sure that infants get the nutrients they need in these baby foods, but also making sure that there's not too much heavy metal exposure. And so they've, you know, tried to work at getting levels lower, but she talked, she spoke to how it's difficult to get to zero levels or absolutely no levels because there's issues of The metals already appearing in the environment and the products that are used to make the baby food. She referred to it as this all this balancing act between making sure that there are products on the market and that 
rules or regulations, guidance that the FDA sets don't put too much pressure on industry that it forces them to stop selling products that kids need. Well, and that I thought that was that really caught my eye when I read the story because you know this is we just had earlier this year a major baby formula shortage, and you know it made me think. Is the FDA worried about that happening with baby food, where if they regulate too tightly, we could have another you know, shortage of these products that parents really, really rely on? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah, with the baby formula issue, it definitely showed how much, you know, if there is a recall of one specific company that the country relies on a lot, then it creates this panic buying and shortages. And it led and it's still leading to the FDA importing formula from abroad. And so, yeah, I think there's definitely this concern. And Susan Main spoke to that when I talked to her about, you know, making sure that there's not so much pressure on or there's not too many stringent regulations on industry that it forces them to stop producing this altogether. However, uh, you also spoke with uh, one of Susan's former colleagues, and I get the sense he had a different point of view about what the FDA could do and what it is capable, what is in the realm of possibility. Can you get into what he said? Yeah, so David Atchison, he was the former commissioner of foods at the FDA and was a chief medical officer at the Food Center. And he, you know, kind of acknowledged that the FDA's approach to this has traditionally not been proactive and looking at what it could do to prevent issues, but it's been one of, he called it, putting out fires. Um, And it's not that the FDA wasn't aware of this issue and that it just popped up in the last few years. They've been constantly aware of this risk, but it's oftentimes a matter of, okay, what gets priority at the food center? There's often a saying that David Atchison mentioned, and you know the FDA commissioner, Robert Califf, has even acknowledged himself the saying that the F and FDA is silent and that it gets a lot less attention than the other components of the FDA. Um, and so because of that and, you know, former officials, current officials have pointed to like less resources and less attention to the food center that kind of makes it strained in its ability to, okay, what do we focus our attention on? Do we focus on salmonella contamination, E. coli, or do we focus on heavy metals and baby food? And that's often led to this issue receiving much less attention than others. Seems like overall he's saying that, you know, A, the FDA needs more funding from Congress, but B, uh, they also need some, you know, holistic long-term planning to sort of use the resources that they do have in a better way. Right. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Do you think, though, that the FDA will eventually act and, and tighten standards um, on its own, that there'll be some more regulatory uh, you know, rulemaking here? Or do you think that they'll be sort of forced by Congress to, to do this? I think it might be a bit of both. I know Susan Main said, you know, and they acknowledge, the FDA acknowledged this in their guidance as well, is that the reason they're setting action levels through guidance and not specific regulatory limits is because, you know, as Gary mentioned, like technology changes, our ability to detect heavy metals changes. So I think over time there may be changes to the limit set or the action levels and what we know about heavy metals in baby foods and how they present. And that might lead to FDA taking changes on its own. But, you know, we've also seen a lot of pressure, especially recently on FDA and the congressional investigations you know, that eventually led to the FDA announcing its closer to zero action plan 
for heavy metals and baby food. So I think, you know, it's going to take a lot of both. But, you know, as I said, like getting to zero is going to be very difficult because of all the issues of it appearing in the environment regularly and, you know, trying to make sure there's not too much restrictions on industry. One thing to point out about about the uh, Closer to Zero program is that they've already kind of blown past their own deadlines in some instances. So, you know, Congress um, starts scrutinizing scrutinizing metals and baby food and they come out with this program and they say, you know, by the end of um, 2022, we're going to have guidance levels for lead and baby food products. They've released guidance on juices only and others are stuck somewhere in the process and have not moved forward at this point. And, and you know, the timeline that they have now is 22 to 24 to kind of resolve lead essentially or, or, or get those guidances in place there. And then after that, they'll deal with cadmium, mercury, and arsenic. So we're talking a multi-year process. This isn't going to happen anytime within the next, you know, six months to 18 months or anything like that. And, and an extraordinarily slow process as generations of children eat baby food and then grow up. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are other ways that change can happen, though. Aside from Congress or the FDA acting, there's also litigation. I mean, you talked about that. That was the the impetus for the whole story. Do you think that that could lead to uh, significant change, either uh, litigation against the FDA to force it to act or litigation against the baby food makers? So there are two types of litigation we're dealing with here. One is sort of the false advertising litigation uh, that Julie Steinberg was writing about. And then uh, it's also a Julie story, but um, uh, the essentially allegations that the the food that children are eating can cause autism. And we, we were very careful about how we handle that in the story because, uh, you know, there's just a lot of a lot of noise around autism and what causes it. But the science is there to say that there is a link between inorganic arsenic and autism. So I think as the science plays out, as more research is done and as more as more lawsuits are filed, assuming that that research continues to show the link, I think it's possible that that becomes a, uh, a driver of change here. And I guess, the, you know, there's another way this could go down, which is that, you know, there's no, uh, you know, real litigation or, or legislation forcing these companies to act. But there are some other companies that are very enterprising and decide to slap a label on their products that say, you know, cadmium free or lead free. And then that becomes a selling point and a competitive advantage. I mean, that's another way that we could see the sort of the free market uh, influence this, right? Yeah. I mean, some of the companies that we te- whose products we tested do claim to, they do kind of play up their their the lack of metals in their foods. We still found some levels of heavy metal in, in all but one product. That's not great. No, it's not. You know, there's just a, a it's going to be very hard to get all of the metals out of the products, if that's even possible. Uh, finally, there are probably some people who are listening to this who are parents of young kids and are thinking, well, what should I do in the meantime? Um, what can parents do to you know, make sure that their kids aren't eating baby food that has levels of metals that are too high? Yeah, we have a number of recommendations in the story, but if there's two things for parents to kind of take away from the story, one is cut back on rice products as much as you can. And ri- why rice specifically? Rice contains a high amount of inorganic arsenic in general. Um, and inorganic arsenic is the, is is known to cause uh, lowering of IQ and other health health problems. 
arsenic gets into the food through the water that it, the rice is grown in. It absorbs it. And you can you can do things like like boil the rice in more water than you actually need. Like usually when you boil rice, you you boil it and it absorbs all of the, you put just enough water in it to absorb what's in there. Mm-hmm. But if you actually boil it in more like kind of in pasta and then drain it off, it'll actually like eliminate a lot of the the arsenic. But avoiding products like rice puffs, um, infant rice cereal, that'll that'll help you. And then the other is is variety, because all of these these metals, it's really about the concentration level in the body. So if you're giving your kids a variety of foods, they're they're most likely not going to be getting a high concentration of any one metal in them. So, for instance, um, sweet potatoes are known to have high levels. Switch that out for other types of potatoes, other vegetables, um, and just continue with a variety. And don't let kids get stuck on eating one thing. Got it. All right. Well, uh, that was Gary Harkai and Celine Castro Nuovo. Uh, thanks for your reporting and thanks for the cooking tip. I will cook my rice differently now. Uh, yeah, and thanks for talking with us. Thank you. Thank you. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz. Our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Check out our website for more of our coverage, including coverage of this issue, where we posted all the results of our baby food testing. That website is news.bloomberglaw.com. Once again, that's news.bloomberglaw.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Taxes and accounting are complicated. But finding a good tax podcast shouldn't be. Listen to Talking Tax, the podcast that breaks down all of these issues on a weekly basis. Every Thursday, Talking Tax will explain the latest issues for you, from corporate filings to diversity within the profession, and even the latest on the burgeoning cannabis industry. Download and subscribe to Bloomberg Tax's Talking Tax, wherever you get your podcasts.